Well, Eric, today we're going to continue on in our study of the Gospel of Mark. We're in chapter 3. If you're reading from home, if you're following along with us with your small group or with a mentor, with your family, or just riding along in a car, we're going to be in chapter 3, verses 7 to 19. And this is where we're going to eventually see a listing of the of the 12 disciples. And But before we get to that, I think, G, uh, Eric, we need to talk about kind of the difference between a, a groupie and a real true follower, right? Because this is what's going to come up in this in this passage of scriptures. We're going to see one group of people where they're sort of fans, they're casual fans. Um, they're they're cruising around with Jesus, they're following everywhere. And then we're going to see another group as we go as we go on in the text. We're going to see that there are there are the true followers of Jesus. And we're going to talk today about the difference between the two of them. So anyone who's out there listening, I just want you to to think about this question at the outset. Are you a groupie or a follower when it comes to Jesus? Now, Eric, maybe we can have a little bit of fun before we jump into this, because some young people listening might not know what we mean by the word groupie. So have you ever been a groupie, and what exactly does that mean? Yeah, I think to be a groupie means to be you know, someone who is a, an intense fan of someone, follows them around, tries to look like what they look like, do what they do just wants to be around a person or a group because they're great. For me, back when I was a teenager, you know, I was into to rock. And even though they're older than my time, you know, back in the 70s, I wasn't actually born until the 80s. But hey, you don't need to rub it in, buddy. <laughs> there was a group called Led Zeppelin. And in my bedroom, I had you know, a banner. It was like a giant flag, probably like five foot by six foot flag in my room and had all their, you know, pictures um, of their faces on the wall. And and uh, I I had an electric guitar and I'd tell everybody that, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm practicing their new song and I'd wear tie-dye shirts, and, <laughs> you know, and just try to be the guy that knew everything about all their albums and their... You know, there was some some rumors if you played the albums backwards, you'd get a, a special <laughs> message or something like that. Yeah, and, I remember yeah. I remember that in youth group, we were warned not to listen to that kind of rock music because the it was called backmasking. That when you played the when you played the tape backwards, it would have a demonic message. I still remember listening to some of the some of those like. Um, Michael Jackson and Led Zeppelin and, and the stuff backwards. The funny thing is, is if you played it forward, and a lot of the message was bad <laughs> enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, it also reminds me of, I mean, in my day then, in the 80s and 90s, who there was a really great athlete. His name was Michael Jordan, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, everybody's favorite basketball team at that time was the Chicago Bulls. Now, I know you're from there, so... So they were probably always your favorite team, or maybe they weren't. But us, where I'm at, that's we didn't have such a great basketball team, and so we loved, we loved Michael Jordan, and uh, you know I tried to keep up with everybody else by buying all of his shoes, but eventually it just got too expensive, and I had to <laughs> resort back to Skechers. Well, I hope you kept some of those shoes because if you if you if you did buy some shoes and maybe they were the wrong size and you just never returned them. I'm sure they'd be worth a lot of money right now. Dang it. Dang it. Yeah, you missed out. <laughs> one of the one of the guys who has the most groupies are is Tiger Woods, you know. Even even today now now that he's an older golfer and doesn't even win that much, even so if he if he's in a tournament, 
I mean, he just will have crowds of people following him. He has all these groupies, while some of the other players who are even actually better at this point than he is, they they might be playing in obscurity because they don't have quite the following. Or, you know, you think about um, the the F1 drivers. Tracy and I right now are watching F1 on Netflix, and it's crazy to see how popular those drivers are. You know, there's only so many F1 drivers, so really it probably they probably have the most groupies of all the athletes in the world because there aren't that many drivers who get to that level compared to golfers or football players or or even or even like singers, right? There are a lot of singers and there's a great variety when it comes to that. But when you think about a groupie, this is someone who has posters on the wall who might travel at long distances to see somebody. And But we're going to talk about today the difference between that and being a real follower of somebody. And that's what's going to bring us to our text for today, Mark chapter 3. Starting in verse 7 and 8, we're going to see that Jesus had some groupies here. It says that he went out to the lake with his disciples. This was the Sea of Galilee. And a large crowd followed him. They came from all over Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, from east of the Jordan River, and even from as far north as Tyre and Sidon. The news about his miracles had spread far and wide, and vast numbers of people came to see him. So, Eric, these were Jesus's groupies. Yeah, we've been seeing this throughout the book of Mark, that Jesus has been growing in popularity and in fame and people are wanting to come be around him because of his greatness. I mean, it just pours out of him for who he is, and his power is being displayed for so many people to see. Uh, it says the news about his miracles has spread far and wide, and so people are hearing about the greatness of Jesus, and they don't want to miss out. They want to be a part of it. And, and up until this point in chapter 3, we've seen all kinds of reasons that people come out to follow Jesus. They either want to see what he can do, if he's going to perform for them, if he's going to actually take care of their felt needs, um, if he's going to uh, cause a, a fight with the Pharisees or the, the religious leaders. Um, and some people are really just curious, is he the Messiah? And so there's so many reasons I think that people become Jesus groupies, because uh, from everywhere, I think Mark is saying from north, south, east, and west, why he, why he labels all these different towns, because if you look at a map, you can see that these, these, some of these places are pretty far away, and they're from every different direction. And I think the point is, is that everybody's heard about Jesus, um, and some of it may be true, and some of it may be false. Uh, some, some people think that Jesus is a miracle worker and they can take care of that he can take care of their physical and mental and emotional needs and other people are just wanting to see a fight and just everybody wants to be a part of the new thing that's going on and I think that you know practically speaking then I think that still happens today that still happens today in America around the world in the church outside of the church is there are times when Jesus Jesus is famous. Um, I think I think of even, you know, some of the things that are going on right now with different movies and TV shows that are that are about Jesus and his life. Um, and many different movie stars are coming out and saying they have a, a Christian faith or something like that. 
Um, the, Jesus is famous, and sometimes he's uh, in season. He's popular for, for everybody. But I think going back to the question that you asked, is that really what he was looking for? Was he looking for people to come and watch him perform for them? Or, or was he looking for something else? Was he looking to, to find people who really wanted to come to him for the right reasons, to make him famous for the right reasons and not for the wrong ones? Yeah, and one thing about these groupies, if you're, if you're covering this topic maybe with your small group or a mentor online at PursueGod.org, if you watch the short recap video for today's lesson, we'll have a map in there to, so that you can actually see exactly what Eric was talking about, you know, the Jerusalem and Idumea and, and east of the Jordan River and all the way up to Tyre and Sidon. If you look at a map, it's pretty actually shocking to see how far away the Sea of Galilee is from where all of these other cities and regions are. In other words, some of these people traveled up to a hundred miles one way to get to the Sea of Galilee. And, you know, they didn't have Teslas um, <laughs> or even Hyundais back then. I mean, they, they we're talking about walking or riding donkeys or whatever else. And so it really is kind of equivalent to, you know, maybe the Led Zeppelin groupies or the Tiger Woods groupies, or it's maybe even a little more intense than that because people had to really travel far and wide to see Jesus. But again, we're going to see what they're what they're looking for from Jesus. You know, some I hear I've heard it this way, Eric, that some people seek the hand of Jesus, His hand, in other words, what He can give them his provision, like whether that's for healing or for money or whatever, but other people seek his face. And I think that's a good way to think about it. Like, are you seeking his face or are you seeking his hand? Are you only seeking what he can give you or are you seeking him? Like, are you coming to him, like you said, Eric, for the right reasons? Do you want a relationship with the creator of the universe? And there really is a difference there. Even today, I think there are a lot of Christians who probably have to ask that question, what are, you, what are you pursuing God for? A lot of people today, you know, you think about prosperity gospel, so many people that mm. are pursuing God because of health and wealth, and they, they see some, you know, some preacher on TV who's got you know, a full head of hair, which I think is always a problem. You got to stay away <laughs> from those kinds of guys. But they're, they're seeking, they're, those teachers are saying, if you seek God, if you, and also, by the way, if you give to our ministry, then God will give it all back to you and you'll be richer than your wildest dreams. And that's just simply not biblical. That's a perfect example of a Jesus groupie. I think, Eric, another Jesus groupie is, is maybe somebody who, um, who loves worship. They love to worship. They love mm-hmm. the music, but it's, but it's almost more like a concert than worshiping the God of the universe. Christians, I think we have to be careful about that, that we're not Jesus groupies, because that's kind of a form of consumerism, Christian consumerism, is, is you're, you, you love to go to a certain church because they've got the hottest band in town, or when, when that, that, uh, worship, that worship concert is going on in your area, you're going to pay a lot of money for tickets to that, maybe more than you've even given to church that month. That's a good sign that maybe you're a bit a little bit more of a Jesus group, but you're 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 going after the feeling, you're going after your felt need, which might be emotional or or entertainment driven. And that's what we see here in, in the next few verses, Mark nine through 
or Mark 3, 9 through 12, it says that Jesus instructed his disciples to have a boat ready so the crowd wouldn't crush him. And he had healed many people that day. So all the sick people were eagerly pushed forward to touch him. And whenever those possessed by evil spirits caught sight of him, the spirits would throw them to the, throw them to the ground in front of him, shrieking, you're the son of God. But Jesus sternly commanded the spirits not to reveal who he was. So whenever we read this in the, in the gospels, we see these these groupies looking for healings, they were so desperate for healings. I don't think we probably see that in the church quite as much as just people desperate for the next warm fuzzy, right? Jesus groupies like that. Yeah, well, I would say that in a sense, you know, one of the things in our church that ends up being one of the biggest prayer requests and the, the most in number of prayer requests are usually for some kind of a physical healing because this world has pain and suffering that comes along with it because of sin, because of the brokenness um, that exists, that humanity brought into it. And that really reveals Jesus' heart and why he came in the first place, is he wants to restore this broken world. He wants to restore us from our sin problem. And and so Jesus coming around and healing people and casting out demons is really a picture of him, of what he's ultimately doing by coming to the earth. It's a, it's a small picture of him, you know, bringing about his kingdom as he comes, showing some of his power here on earth. But I think what happens in the church is we think that we get confused and we see that Jesus can do all this stuff. Um, and then we think that that might be the greatest priority and um, need that people have then is to have their physical needs met first before their spiritual. But Jesus, you know, a couple of, you know, sections ago said that his priority was to come you know, preach the good news. He didn't come to just take care of people's needs. This was really revealing who he is. So I think still in the church today, we get it mixed up as we, we, we come to Jesus for all kinds of different things. Even, even with the right heart, I think we want a healing from God because he has the power to do it, but we don't always trust him even when he doesn't. Um, We don't trust him when he doesn't take care of our spiritual or our physical needs. Um, and I think the reality is, is because Jesus is looking for people who are going to surrender to him and his power first. Um, and that's the sad thing about most of humanity will struggle with getting to the place of just trusting Jesus and following him and surrendering to him for who he is, not just for what he can do. Um, if we fast forward a couple of, you know, uh, the timeline a little bit in the Bible, and we go to the book of Acts, after Jesus dies and rises again, he ascends and he goes to heaven, um, he leaves the the disciples with a job to start the church and to go share this message with the, the ends of the earth. And what we see is, is that, there's actually only 120 believers that are the real followers of Jesus. In Acts chapter 1, verse 15, it says, During this time when about 120 believers were together in one place, Peter stood up and addressed them. And that, to me, I think reveals that out of all the thousands of people that followed Jesus, there were only really 
120 of those were really only true faithful followers while everybody else was trying to get some kind of felt need met. And I think that as we look out at our churches, we have to maybe assume something similar is that there's a, a crowd of people and we don't know why everybody's here. We can we can get into relationships with people, we can ask questions, we can take prayer requests, but we don't know why everyone's here. But the Bible tells us that while we have you here, we ought to tell you what Jesus really wants, what Jesus is really looking for, and that's faithful followers, right? Yeah, and again, I'm not trying to throw under the bus all the people who have felt needs, because even Jesus met their needs. So if Jesus wasn't interested in groupies, right? I mean, he wouldn't have met their needs. He met their needs. He met them where they were. I mean, that, it's pretty impressive to see how often he did that. And even today, God wants to meet people's needs. We, I don't want people to get the wrong idea. Jesus wants to meet your needs. If you're listening to this and you're on the fence, you're not sure what you think about Jesus yet, you're still investigating. He wants to meet your needs. Don't get me wrong. But there's a difference between someone who comes just to get their needs met and someone who comes because they really want a relationship with the creator of the universe. So there's a difference between seeking his hand and then leaving because you got what you wanted for a minute or seeking his face and getting his hand thrown in, getting his provision thrown in. Maybe, maybe not, but it doesn't matter Mm -hmm. because if you're seeking a relationship with him, then that's going to make the biggest difference, even though it might not pay off in the in the immediate, right? Because, I mean, Eric, think, like you said, so many people in the Gospels who followed Jesus, who, who were just crowds, hordes of people who were going to see Jesus, and yet at the cross, you don't see hordes of people. Mm-hmm. At, at, you know, at, in Acts chapter 1, you don't see hordes of people. So clearly, so many of these people were just Jesus groupies, and so he always... in we see this time and again in the gospel, he always then turns to his closest followers and it's almost like he challenges them. It's almost like he invites them to go a little bit further with him. We see it in verse 13 to 15. It says, afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain. So here he was, the first scene is he's out on the Sea of Galilee and all these people are crushing him. They want, they want him to heal them and he does cast out demons, and he does. But then he get, the next scene is he goes up onto a mountain, he, and it says, and, and called, he called out the ones he wanted to go with him, and they came to him. And then he appointed 12 of them. So it's not just the 12 that he's calling out. There's more than the 12 that are going up. And then he appointed 12 of them. So he, he calls some of them out. They came to him. We don't know how many. But 12 of them, then he calls them to be his apostles. They were to accompany him, and he would send them out to preach, giving them authority to cast out demons. So, Eric, let's let's spend some time on these three verses, because this really, I think, is a good way for us to understand what a faithful follower is even today, right? Yeah, one of the things I want to say about this is, is when it comes to being a real follower, that's, that's really what disciple means, is to be a follower of Jesus. And so... These guys were looking to be discipled by Jesus. He called them to follow him. Back in Jesus' day in Judaism, they had a tradition with the rabbis, and and if someone was considered a rabbi or a teacher, that's really what rabbi means, 
um, they would select a group of people that would follow them around and kind of model after them, um, learn from their teachings, serve them. And that's really what Jesus was doing. He was looking for um, some faithful disciples, some faithful followers that would become his students um, so that he could extend this message for when he was gone. He was really training up his his replacements um, and people that were going to start the church. And what I want to say about this is that real discipleship sometimes requires leaving the crowds so that you can get some more intimate training, um, so that you can have some some face time with Jesus. We can't always base our relationship with God with being in a huge crowd of of worship during music or even just church on Sunday. Uh, but discipleship requires that we need to leave those crowds sometimes and get get into some smaller groups or even one-on-one with some people and really get to know this Jesus of the Bible. Yeah, because we see even here that he calls out a group of them. We don't know, maybe 70, maybe 100, maybe 120, who knows. Mm-hmm. But then he But then he appointed 12 of them. And called them to to be apostles. So we see that even Jesus is practicing this. That that he's got the large group. He had the crowds. There's nothing wrong with crowds, but if, but if your Christianity is only about the crowds, you're missing something, mm-hmm. big time. And again, so many, even maybe some listeners right now, you're listening to this and and you're thinking, well, that actually you're describing me. I go to church on Sunday, and then I might go to like a Christian concert every once in a while. But but my my really my interface with Jesus or even with his people is all is all just the crowds. Guess what? I think you might just be a Jesus groupie, you know? Mm. Because Jesus calls us, I mean it says right here, the called out ones. He called out the ones he wanted to go with him. That it makes makes me think of the word ecclesia, which is the the Greek word for the church, and it literally means the called out ones. So so it's like he's calling people out. This is what he does for us in the church. When we think of the word church, we think of probably a big group of people. That's not what Jesus usually meant when he when he talked about the church. It literally just means the called out ones. And so it's a small group of people here. And so number one, he calls him out. And then number two, this is such a powerful sentence, Eric, here in verse 13, 14, it says, and they came to him. Mm-hmm. It's so powerful that... I mean, that just really speaks about being with Jesus, like being with Jesus, not not just being with a bunch of people, not not just being, you know, calling yourself a Christian or checking that off on your, you know, when you're filling out an application. No, it's actually being with Jesus. He called them and they came to him. Yeah, I want to go back to the, the church because I'm going to connect it with this one. You know, the the call being the called out ones um, the the church doesn't mean the building it means the the people of god um and so just like you said Brian we think of a big building or a big crowd of people and that's what the church is but the church is really this thing that you can't see and it's it's the people that make up the church the the bible calls it us we're we're a spiritual temple we're a spiritual building all together, all of the believers make up the church. And so inside of our churches, our buildings, 
it's made up of not just believers, but there's probably some some guests, some seekers, some unbelievers in there as well. And so we can't always say um, that everybody in the crowd is a real follower of Jesus. And and so it reminds me of John John chapter 10, where Jesus says that he's the shepherd and we're the sheep, and he says... Um, my sheep hear me and know my voice and they listen to me. And, and that really kind of points out this. And they came to him. They proved that they were real followers of Jesus, that when he called, they came to them. That's what Jesus was talking about. There's a, there's a fruit that comes out of a person's life that's beyond just being a groupie. And it's someone who really just wants to spend the time being with their Lord and Savior, to being with God, because it fills them up in such a way spiritually that nothing else on earth can physically do. All the food and the drink and the the love and the relationships and the entertainment in this life cannot fill up a true follower of Jesus the way that just being with him, being in his word, talking to him through prayer, um, and and being with others who are like-minded, um, that fills us up way more than being in the crowd, so to speak. Okay, so we're talking about faithful followers versus Jesus groupies and the difference here in verses 13 to 15 of Mark chapter 3. So we saw that, number one, they're called out from the crowd. Number two, they came to Jesus and they were with Jesus. They accompanied Jesus, which is so huge. Again, I hope if you're listening to this, you're evaluating yourself. Which one am I? Which group do I fall in? Am I a groupie or am I really a true follower of Jesus? And the third thing, this to me is the big test, Eric, and we're pretty passionate about this as pastors. The third thing is that they're sent because, right, he, Mm. so he calls them to the mountain away from the crowds. They come to him. They spend time with him. He appoints 12 of them to be apostles and then it says that they were going to they were going to accompany him and he would send them out now they ha- he hasn't yet but but it's like mark wants us to know that he's going to send you know spoiler alert he's going to send them back out it's not a, a a telltale sign that you're just a jesus groupie is it's all about you it's all about you spending time on the on the mountaintop with jesus cuz maybe there's some listeners who are saying check i've been called out from the crowd check I love my time with Jesus. I spend a lot of time with Jesus, just me and just me and him. But a lot of a lot of Christians, Eric, actually think that they're truly a follower of Jesus, yet they've never actually gone back to the crowd to share Jesus with the crowd. Yeah, and that's another one of those fruits that if you truly are a follower of Jesus and you're you're surrendered to him, then you follow his commandments and you follow the great commission. When he said to go out and go into all the world and and preach and to share the good news and to make disciples that's just that should be a, a natural thing that comes out of someone who's been with Jesus because Jesus made disciples and if we're going to become like Jesus by spending time with Jesus and being a student of Jesus then we're going to go tell other people about Jesus, do what he did, preaching, which which doesn't mean that everybody's called to stand up at church on Sunday and preach or preach from, you know, a, a corner from a soapbox with a megaphone. It really just means being able to sh- to share truth in a, in a loving relationship, to share 
what the Bible says, to talk about Jesus dying on the cross and, and the gospel. All of us have been called to do that, yet I think I agree with you, Brian, is that the struggle is is helping helping Jesus' faithful followers understand that that's what he wants them to do. And he's even, like it says, giving them authority to do it. They have this commissioned authority to go take the message of Christ taking over this broken world and to to bring some form of restoration, even here and now, by going and reclaiming ground from the evil one, by making disciples and having them change from the the evil side to the good side. That's what it, that's what we're doing when we when we go make disciples. When we when we leave the crowds. When we build intimate relationships with other people, and we're on mission for Jesus. And I just want to point something out real quick. This passage brings up the apostles, and you know the word apostle actually just means messenger. And so he was calling these guys to go be his messengers. Now we're all called. Now they had a special role. They're the capital A apostles, um, which I don't believe anybody else has that role here on earth that was reserved for them. But but we can be small A apostle messengers of Jesus, um, just like being a follower. We're also called to be, just like we're called to be disciples, we're also called to be little A apostles and go be messengers. Okay, and then the last section of this passage of Scripture for today that we're going to cover is where Mark actually lists out the 12 that Jesus chose. And, and we want to talk through this list to, to finish up today's podcast, Eric, because these are, these are just ordinary guys. I know some people listening might say, ah, I don't, maybe I am just a groupie. <laughs> you know, maybe mm. I'm just going to stay a groupie. And I just I want to challenge you to think about the, some of the names in this list and how ordinary and regular these fishermen and tax collectors were. It says, these are the 12 that Jesus chose, Simon, whom he named Peter, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, but Jesus nicknamed them sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and then the last on the list, Judas Iscariot, who we know later betrayed Jesus. So Eric, let's, we don't have time to jump into each one of these guys, but let's pick a few of these guys out and talk about this ragtag bunch of misfits and, and how, I mean, remember, as we think about this, these are the guys, we don't know this yet in Mark chapter 3, but if you, if you know the whole Bible, if you know the book of Acts, you know that these are the guys that changed the whole world. These are the guys that after Jesus died and was resurrected, he trained them for 40 days and then he left them, and they changed the world. They started the church and changed the world, but they're just regular, ordinary guys. And let's start with Peter. I mean, Peter was a normal dude, but he was a little bit <laughs> like kind of relatable maybe for most of us. Yeah, I when I think of Peter, I think of that guy that you're like... You, you're you're cringing, waiting to hear what's going to come out of his mouth when you give him an opportunity to go to speak in a meeting or something like that. You know, he was a strong personality. Uh, he he butted his way to the front. He was probably um, rubbed some people the wrong way. Uh, he has to be corrected so many times by Jesus. I think he was corrected more than any other the the disciples throughout Jesus' ministry because of he had this zealous 
passion to to fight you know but i don't think he always knew what he was even fighting for you know we know people like that they just they want to start a fight you know he's believed to be the one that cut off the guy's ear you know <laughs> when jesus was in the garden when he finally got arrested um and jesus like put the you know put your sword away jesus had to heal the guy's ear uh you know peter um denied christ three times he didn't think he was going to do that but he did uh he he even rebuked jesus himself saying you know you're not gonna have to go die on the cross and there's so many times he had to be corrected and he failed to the point of feeling low about himself but yet jesus uses this guy maybe maybe you're listening to this and you're like man uh i'm a guy like that or maybe you're 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 wife would say that you're somebody like that and and you don't think you're kind enough or or gentle enough or patient enough well you know those are all good traits to to have and we are supposed to become more like Christ but Jesus starts with these guys that are basically you know uh nobodies and and ragtag bunch of misfits like you said because you know God can basically use anyone um to do ministry. And I think he, he shows that Peter is actually considered the leader of the disciples for a while. So yeah, that also leads to, yeah. Other guys like James and John, they were young, like they were young. They might've just been teenagers, you know, Brian, aren't we always trying to get our, our youth ministry and our younger, our sons, our, our kids to try to step out for the Lord. And I think a lot of people look at young people like, ah, they can't be used, or even our kids. They're like, "Oh, it's just—it's not time for me right now." Uh, my my, the season of life I'm in is to you know figure what I'm doing with my career and and have fun. Yeah, James and John worked for their dad. I mean, just think about this: they worked for their dad, and they were kind of mama's boys. Yeah. If you don't, if you don't believe me, read Matthew chapter twenty. So this was James and John, and yet Peter, James, and John were the inner circle of Jesus. They were. Mm. They were, you know, there were the 12, and then there were the three. Peter, James, and John were the three. And just to think how young they were, we don't know why they're called the Sons of Thunder, but I've got some ideas, because I know boys, if you know what I mean. E- Eric, you have four boys, so I bet you you know what I mean when I say Sons of Thunder. Now, maybe it's not that. Maybe it's, you know, there's that one story where they're walking past this one village that 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 rejected the message, and... And the disciples said, let's call down, Jesus, why don't we call down fire from heaven on that mm-hmm. town? Like, let's go all Sodom and Gomorrah on that town. And Jesus looked at them and like, come on, guys, really? And maybe that's when Jesus gave them the nickname, Sons of Thunder. We don't know for sure, but we know, what we do know for sure is that James and John were totally average, ordinary, regular guys, guys that any of our listeners would relate to, and they were used in a mighty way by God because they were faithful followers, not just, you know, Jesus groupies. Or how about the next guy on the list, Matthew? And we talked about him a couple of weeks ago, but Matthew, his name was also Levi. So he probably came from the tribe of Levi, so, which means he came from a kingdom of priests. And yet this guy is a tax collector which means he was despised, he was a traitor, he was greedy. The Israelites hated the tax collectors, and Matthew gets invited by Jesus to be one of his closest followers. 
Yeah, I think when 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 sometimes you know in in church leadership we're looking for the the next great leader. Sometimes we can be susceptible to looking at people with um, you know natural eyes rather than spiritual eyes. And this, as we go through this list, I think about like what kind of guys have been you know raised up into ministry. Now, certainly there are guys that have come from all walks of life, guys that you know, have been Christians their whole life and, and didn't mess up a whole lot um, and have grievous sins before the Lord because they had proper parenting. And, and you know, that certainly can happen. As, as followers of Jesus, we can raise kids that actually follow Jesus at a young age and, and live good, moral, holy lives that can that can go on and also do great things for the Lord in, in ways that other people can't. They've got self-discipline that other people just haven't had, you know? And so I don't want to just keep talking about, you know, God only uses the worst of the worst. I mean, God can use, again, ordinary people. If I think about some of the guys on the list are married. I mean, we we learned that Peter was married and 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 I think sometimes people use the excuse that well I'm too busy I I've got a spouse and and I've got a family and uh, and so Jesus can't use me because um, I've got too many soccer games to go to and too many you know too many things I got to do for my spouse and serve my spouse first and all of that comes before Jesus's mission but somehow. These guys made it work. We don't get a pass for serving the Lord by saying we're unqualified. We don't get a pass from the Lord by saying we're too busy. We don't get a pass from the Lord by saying um, we've done too much. We've we've messed up. We've sinned too much. Um, and I think Jesus in this list is really trying to get that across to readers even 2,000 years later as we look down this list and see all the people that he can use, and it's so that we don't have the excuse um, that we're just not cut out for this. Neither were these guys, I don't think, but that's why God gets the glory through it all. Let's just look at a few more names on this list. Of course, there's Thomas. We know Thomas was famously called, nicknamed Doubting Tom. Well, we've given him the nickname, Doubting Mm. Thomas, but I think we could all... Thomas, to me, is just a skeptic. So some of you out there listening, maybe you feel like you're a little bit more of a skeptic the way you're wired. You can be a skeptic and be a faithful follower of Jesus. I mean, it's it's. I think it's good to be a skeptic. I think it's good to to really think about it. I love that Thomas questioned the other disciples when they said Jesus was resurrected. That's part of why I believe, is because I can relate to Thomas as a skeptic. Or how about Simon the Zealot? And Eric, I think a, probably a lot of listeners can relate to this guy. This guy was probably like the hardcore anti-government type. And aren't there a lot of those people out there today, maybe even in a lot of our churches? Sadly, I think a lot of times those guys are just, you know, Jesus groupies. But but those guys can take a cue from Simon the Zealot and be a faithful follower of Jesus. But it ta- it's going to take some time spent with Jesus, not just with the crowds. Yeah, and I think a guy like Simon... Simon the Zealot, you know, is he's he's got a good foundation about hey, there's something wrong with 
the the world's way of doing things and the governmental systems that that men and women create um and but sometimes we got to get them to understand yes there's there's a god who has authority over all governments over all kings and over all authorities and uh and so it's not wrong to to not trust all of the the authorities in your life but at some point we got to trust that god put the authorities in place i think that's where simon simon probably got to in his life he probably had to put down the sword and put down the all the the arguing and fighting and the debating and eventually just trust that that jesus has this handled and then the last guy on the list which is which is sad as Judas, Judas the Iscariot, the one who betrayed Jesus. And this one, you know, for me, makes me think that God can even use those who aren't true followers. And so sometimes, you know, I would think of G- Judas as he was the groupie who made it inside the inner circle. And at the end of the day, he ended up not be being a true follower of Jesus, but we see that God used even his sinful and, and misguided um, intentions to bring about the crucifixion of Jesus. Now, I don't want any of us to be like Judas. Mm-hmm. And as a matter of fact, if you think about all the people that... Uh, you know, have a Christian name, you know, parents name their kids after the Bible. I don't know that I've ever met a person named after this one. Um, <laughs> I can't and, think and of probably, one probably for good reason, because uh, it didn't end well for him. And that should be, you know, somewhat of a wake-up call for, for those of us who need to challenge our faith a little bit. When we test, are we really faithful followers? Are we true disciples? Have we been called out? Are we um, spending time with Jesus, are we becoming more like him? And then are we sent out and are we actually obedient to that? Are we not making excuses about going and making Jesus famous out in the world for all the right reasons? That's, that's one that should be a wake-up call. Yeah, and I think it's interesting that Judas is on the list. I think it proves to us really what we're talking about today and that's that Jesus isn't going to make anyone be a true follower. There are a lot of people who are Jesus groupies, who follow Jesus for what he can give them. They seek him for his hand instead of seeking his face. And Jesus allows it. But at the end of the day, we're going to find out who really is the faithful follower of Jesus. And if you're listening today, I encourage you, use this conversation. You can find this topic along with thousands of other topics at PursueGod.org. Really, Pursue God is designed to help you become a true follower of Jesus. So if you're new to the resources, maybe you've just listened to this podcast, but you don't know much about PursueGod.org, I encourage you to check it out. And also encourage you to check out the series called The Pursuit. That's a 12-week series that helps you to understand what it really means to be a true follower of Jesus.